Hey everyone, this is Matt Schrader from Score the Podcast and our premium show, More Score. This is episode number 35 and a special one that we're making available to all. If you would like to subscribe to More Score, our show is on Patreon, releasing new interviews all the time, as well as on Apple Podcasts or using the anchor link in our show description. I mentioned this episode is different. When Robert Kraft brought this guest idea to us, wanting to interview him, we knew it would be a different tone for a show about a composer going through the most difficult period of his life. Dmitry Selipanov is 35 years old with a wife and two kids. He is Russian. He studied music all his life in Russia, 20 years of formal training, a graduate of the Moscow Conservatory, and the reason he reached out, he is a film composer. Or he was until a few weeks ago, when he and his family fled their home, knowing they may never be able to return to Russia. Dmitry was a phenomenal composer for Russian-language films. He's recorded with orchestras in Moscow, but also in Prague and in London at Abbey Road. He won the equivalent of the best original score for his Russian-language film Ice a few years ago in Russia. And he's worked with some of the biggest Russian bands in popular music. Dmitry made the choice to at least temporarily leave his country to ensure his family's safety as uncertainty grew about their future. That was about 40 days ago. He now finds himself looking for work, stuck in an apartment building in the country of Georgia. Our own Robert Kraft reached out and asked if he might consider an interview on our show to share his complete story. And Dmitry agreed. This is their conversation. Dimitri, I am so happy to welcome you to this podcast and also just to meet you. I, I must say that a couple things before we start. Number one, I've been listening to your music and I'm absolutely blown away, completely amazed by what I've seen and heard. Seen because some of the vi music videos are so beautiful, but you're just world-class composer and I regret that I haven't been familiar with your work before. And Thank maybe, you so much. I'm flattered. Maybe we can remedy that by getting this podcast out and getting people in the West to understand who you are, um, because it's just, it's really world-class <laughs> and surprising to me only because of my own kind of naive pay, assuming that it's going to be either all orchestral or all kind of traditional it's none of those things it's completely contemporary but i think a good place to start is to um just to get a little idea about where you are and who you are and before we do that out of curiosity can we see you any better is there a light nearby that you can shine it's okay but already getting that better. better yes that's yes great that's okay. carol and she um is our lighting and audio director in addition to being our everything nice. else director i don't know if it's a lamp here maybe that that should be even is that so, is that okay oh yeah it's good we can see you Perfect. You can see you, and uh, you look like a real composer, so that must that counts for a lot. <laughs> um, can you just familiarize me and our audience with number one, uh, where you are and how you got sure. to where you are? I know just a little bit, but let's start with where you are right now. Sure. Um, first of all, thanks for all the kind words, and uh, it's a great honor to to take part in this. I've been following your podcast for years now and I've never dreamt of actually taking part in this. So thank you. Thanks for Oh, that's me. so nice. You should have <laughs> so been on I'm it long ago. <laughs> um, thank you. I'm currently in Georgia, in Tbilisi. And, uh, not, not the state I've of moved... Georgia, the country of Georgia. No, no, the country of Georgia. Uh, and... Um, Basically, a couple of weeks ago when the war started, um, I packed things into my car, took my family and we drove for uh, three days uh, to escape from my country. 
Um, yeah, probably I should say a few words about the war as well, because it's the most important thing today happening to my country. Um, um, I would like to say that um, I believe it's a, it's a horrendous act, and, uh, and I know there are so many people back in Russia who think uh, that this war is an is a is a, it's, it's a, I don't know Putin is a war criminal to us. So um, I would I would really want the world world to to see that Russian people are not um, for but there are a lot of people who are for this war war in Russia of course but there are so many people who are against and they are taking real risks right now and they're being prosecuted they're being uh, they're they're facing prison time just for their views um unfortunately it is not safe to think differently now in russia and um many people are afraid to state what they think because they can lose everything they could lose their not only their jobs they could lose their freedom actually freedom so people are facing up to 15 years of prison time just for saying that they're not you know they didn't vote for this war they don't support it and they're against any kind of violence especially of that sort um but me and my friends my family and everybody i know are against this this is a act of horrible I don't know, violence and uh, we never voted for Putin and we think he's a war criminal. Thank you for this minute of uh, your uh, the ability to speak my mind because um, it is important for me to state this. It's so valuable to hear that and you're educating me and our audience on a number of things that you couldn't be aware of. First of all, we don't know until you've mentioned it that Russians are getting enough information to know how it really is. And uh, there's a lot of information here in the West that Russians are being led to believe that it's a justified war and that uh, Putin's doing this for a number of reasons. And so to hear you say that people inside Russia don't agree is very valuable. And I appreciate that. I also would love to know um, a little more about, number one, are you safe? And what was those, what were those three days like where you traveled? Did you, were you concerned? Did you feel in danger? Uh, and what is your safety now in Georgia? I mean, I think we're relatively safe here because we're in a different country right now. Um, but um, the traveling part was, of course, I mean, it's, you know, up to the whole decision of leaving my country where I lived my whole entire life uh, came in about a couple of hours. So we only had this one talk with my wife and then we decided to pack up and move out. And so everything you knew, everything you've built for so many years, your reputation, your work, your friends, your social life, whatever, everything basically turns to, you know, ashes in, in a matter of days. Um, but to me, it's so important to be able to speak my mind freely. Um, I cannot imagine living in a society where this is taken from away from me, you know. This is like a ba basic human right. And... Uh, I think everybody should have had it. I don't believe in anyone having the right to take this away from me or from my family and from my children. So we did that. And um, of course, it's very difficult. Um, we're renting an apartment in a different country. I'm trying to, I mean, I've been working from here remotely from projects that I started back in Moscow. Um, but it's doable. And at least I can be sure that nobody's going to arrest me based on my views. That's fantastic. You, your description of your current life actually raises even more questions for me. Number one, what was the thought that made you turn to your wife and said, 
we got to go. Was there a minute or an event or a news report or something that made you say, you know what, we can't stay? And number two, when you said you're working remotely, did you literally close up your apartment, pack your whole studio, and do you know if you'll ever come back to that, or is it that's history now? Um, I did pack up my studio. I mean, I took as much as I could. Hold on, let me show you what I have here. It's like a mobile whatever setup. Ah, perfect. This, that, that. That's my workspace right there. And then also Uh, you're showing us... I used to have a large studio. You're showing us right now the most important part of your studio, which is your brain. Yeah. And your talent. that, That is the... That is one thing that I tried to, you know, really tell myself when I was panicking that they, I don't get paid for the tools. Uh, I get paid for the ideas I have and the execution that I can provide Perfect. of those ideas. So, Tell um, us about that conversation and what prompted you to turn to your wife right. and say, we're out of here. So, basically, it was two things. First, it was a gradual process. As I said, we took part in so many processes during these years in Moscow. So we were kind of already involved in the political context and we knew that the country wasn't heading to, to, to a future that we liked. But um, we tried to do our best to change it and still we had so much work and social connections and we had a life, in, a great life in Moscow. Um, but then at some point you know, things start to get worse and worse and worse and you really try to start to question if these things outweigh, outweigh the the pluses that you have, the life, the um, concerts, the studio recordings, whatever. Mm, and then uh, when the war started, of course we were all shocked and for the first few days it was really hard to think clearly. Mm-hmm. And to, you know, really digest the situation and sort of come up with a plan on how to act, if you have to act or not, if you have to wait. It's very hard because, as you've mentioned, there's so much uh, of propaganda in Russia. Um, most people I know take information from internet, but still, even on the internet, there is so much of uh, information from both sides that is just false, you know, and it's made up on purpose. It's not the, it's not like somebody's mistakenly posted something. It's it's made to lead you to a sort of a mixed up reality. Um, so uh, at some point there were rumors actually that uh, they would close the border the borders uh, and uh, also that there might be a um, call to arms for every man in country and I'm <laughs> I can't imagine myself with a gun in a foreign country um, so we decided that for our own safety it's best to move out and then if everything gets normal we could always return um, but um, for now, I can't see that happening, to be honest. I'd love to, but I can't see that happening. Do you think you'll stay in Georgia, or can we hope to start seeing you either London or Los Angeles or New York to work on the films that you deserve to be working on? Um, I mean, that is my goal, to, of course, to move to the West and uh, to continue my development and my career uh, because there is no industry here. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a very nice, safe place to stay. I have relatives here and my wife is actually Georgian. So we have so many people trying to help us and really helping us. Um, but in terms of my development and our future, of course, it's logical to move to somewhere where there is an industry and where I can grow professionally. So yeah, that would be my goal. Well, I'm hoping certainly that our SCORE podcast is the first step towards exposing you to an audience that I don't think is aware of your talent and uh, your ability. I certainly wasn't until someone said there's a composer who's left Russia who is 
in exile in Georgia that you should listen to? And I thought, okay, I'll check it out. And then I checked it out and thought, my God, the guy's a genius. It's just so beautiful what you're writing and composing. Um, I also wonder, before we talk a little bit more about the music, as an artist and a musician and a composer, did you feel in any way in danger in Russia and have any attention put on you that would be different from another Russian citizen simply because you're an international artist? Not really, no. Um, I mean, before the war started, uh, I've had so much work. I've had concerts and um, I've played played some of the best venues in in Russia. Never even for once I was facing any problems because of my political views. Um, But after the war started, they actually... um, the the political context really changed. So there are new rules now, and uh, you are not allowed to say anything against the war now. And uh, you could be arrested for your uh, opinion. So things have changed since then. Do you think this podcast being being shared on the internet will endanger you in any way? I mean, it might. I have no idea. Um, who will be listening from Russia. Everything is possible. But as I said, I think it's very important to have the right to speak your mind. Wow, it's so heavy. I can't even begin to tell you other podcast episodes asking about, you know, a composer and where they grew up in California or New York (laughs) and how it was and they went to music school and everything's very la-di-da and here we have a composer who's literally escaping for his life and his freedom. Um, and then expected to work on, you said you have current projects. Is it possible to get up sure, in the morning yeah. and focus purely on the music you need to write without being utterly distracted or depressed? I mean, it's challenging for sure. But uh, one thing that I found is throughout my, my entire life is that music really helps me to keep sanity, uh, <laughs> to find this space where I can be, uh, you know, myself and uh, relative, relative comfort, even in those circumstances, the fact that I'm still doing what I love and what I can do, uh, and it's being the same thing that I've done my entire life, really helps uh, both uh, psychologically and mentally and um, so yeah, music is, is a medicine right now. Oh, I love that. Music is a medicine right now. That is wonderful. Can you tell me a bit about, of course, I've read a bio on you and learned, but I'm not familiar with what it would be like to grow up wanting to be a composer in Russia. I certainly understand that there's some similarities sure. if you were born in the U.S. or London and a fairly traditional route, but as a young man, did you know that you were going to want to write film music and compose music? Um, so I, I started by attending a music school in Moscow, uh, a, a Gnesin uh, music school, it's called. It's, I think it's one of the best uh, music schools um uh, in the entire in, entire world, well, to me at least, because um, it's completely free. Uh, people go there when they're starts uh, they start there when they they're five, six, or seven years old, and then there's twelve years of uh, professional musical training that you have to complete in order to finish it. So I went there when I was seven and took twelve years there in Moscow, and my. Uh, in Moscow, yes, and there were some absolutely brilliant teachers, uh, best teachers I have ever met in my entire life, and I've traveled a bit, and I've been to different places, and these teachers, the, the, the way they taught us, is I, to me, it's the, um, well, most of my professional level today comes from that, I think. Uh, so, my... Mm, I, my focus was piano and percussion. I was a pianist mm. back then, as a child. 
and a percussionist. Um, the piano's a percussionist. So that's what I did. I also, right, yeah. But I played, you know, drums and uh, uh, the classical orchestral you know, uh, percussion instruments, etc. I played marimba and stuff. So um, that is what I did. Uh, and I actually believed I was going to be an instrumentalist until very lately, uh, in maybe when I was 16 or 17, I started to compose. I'm saying late because most of the guys that I met in the conservatory when I moved there uh, started composing when they were children. They were seven, eight years old. They already started. So I, during that period, I was solely focusing on being an instrumentalist. Um, so then I graduated from school, went to Moscow State Conservatory and spent another eight years there. So in total, I had 20 years of musical tra training. And all of that is completely government funded uh, if you get there. So if you're accepted through the exams, which are very hard uh, in Russia, um, then the government funds your education. And that makes it possible for somebody with great talent from a very poor family to get that knowledge. And um, uh, so, so the education, of course, is very much focused on, um, I should say, more classical way of uh, writing music. So everything that is, uh, I don't know, related to film composing, the technology, the uh, working with uh, recording stuff, working with computers and that, and that kind of things, uh, I've learned during my free time, and that was like a hobby for me. But uh, as a student, I had to write music um, for, yeah, write concert music. Um, for an orchestra. So I spent eight years for, yeah, for orchestras, for ensembles, for soloists, what, whatever. Um, for eight years, I've studied in Moscow Conservatory, and my majors were also piano, also percussion, but I've added the, added the composition to that as well. So I studied three things. And then I graduated from Moscow Conservatory. And during the uh, last few years, I figured out I wanted to try to write for films. And I started sending out my demos to local directors, kind of stalking them, <laughs> following them, trying to meet them at some parties or whatever. I was very bad at, I'm still very bad at this kind of social thing. Um, networking, but, we call but, you it. You know, I've sent network, yeah, networking, not my thing at all, <laughs> I'm afraid. Hmm. Uh, but I tried to work on myself and I've sent probably hundreds of emails and thousands of those, yeah. Um, and at some point, somebody actually replied and they were looking for a composer for their first documentary. And mm. that's how things started. That was maybe already, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 years ago now. And so I want to know a little bit about the electronics that you just said you kind of did that on your own because that's such a significant part of contemporary both music and filmmaking. And clearly, as I'm watching your videos which we're going to share. Sure. You're doing some really interesting things with electronics. So you you brushed over that uh, saying that it was, you know, you're writing for ensembles and orchestra, but now I see concerts of yours where you have what looks like either an iPad set up with um, sure. pre-recorded percussion and synth pads and things. So you learned that on your own but you have to educate an audience that i think i don't know are there big music stores in moscow that sell contemporary software and contemporary uh keyboards that you can just go into and buy and it's just like the west or is it more over the internet you're no it's i just don't know so forgive me uh, i think Yes, sure, sure. No, Moscow is a great city. I mean, you can find pretty much everything mm -hmm. there in terms of both technology and knowledge and whatever you're into. So uh, that really wasn't a problem. The problem is mm, spending the right amount of time and actually learning these tools. I think the, uh, that today we live in a world where the knowledge is out there 
I mean, there's tons of YouTube videos and everybody could learn if they have the time. Um, it's just, it's just, you know, the dedication and, uh, mm, finding, finding the information that you need, which is challenging at times because there's so many, so much of it, but, um, it's definitely doable. Uh, for me, it comes from, I've, I've, I've been a, I mean, my whole educational life, I've been a classical musician, but outside of this world, I was always listening to all sorts of different music and that comes from my family. My parents were always into so much of, you know, great, great uh, music ranging from jazz to, you know, the classical rock and stuff from that. So I grew up in a house where we always had something playing and whatever it was, it was it was great. I mean, it was the best of they could find uh, find from jazz and best examples of classical rock and also symphonic music and whatever. So, in I was raised in a very diverse uh, musical uh, context, and that so, sort of developed as I grew up, of course. And I started listening to electronic music. I started to play in bands, uh, uh, and that led me to start my own project at some point, which you've mentioned, where I perform on piano, but I also have a lot of um, um, electronic instruments and pre-recorded stuff. And we also have a string band on the <laughs> stage. And to me, it's, I was always searching for, for a place where I could um, take all the inspirations I've had from different musical words, uh, worlds and sort of you know, find a language that um, that makes it organic for them to be in one context, which is very hard. Well, it was for me because I've, ser I've spent many years searching for that language because many times if you take strings and add a synthesizer, it sounds like a synthesizer added to, a, to strings. And you can hear that somebody wrote the strings first and then he added the synthesizer or whatever. But actually composing with these things in mind, how they actually will cooperate and how they work together, is something that I had to develop. It sounds like you've developed so, yeah. a pretty amazing combination because I hear a very organic language. And I also think that what you're doing is utterly contemporary, the marriage of orchestral instruments, synthetic sounds, um, and it is a perfect language for contemporary film. Because as you know, composers now, you know, I get asked all the time, well, what do you think about composers who use synthesizers? And I think it's like, what, if a, you're an author of a book and you use microsoft word it's different than if you use a pencil and a piece of paper to write your who doesn't use sure. the electronic tools so it feels very natural in your work and um i just want to find more opportunities um i i wonder uh how do you now that you've at least started to work and score things and this may be an answer that's evolving because of where you are currently. How do you reach out and get your work heard by film directors now? And how, what is your thought on how to proceed with that? Um, I mean, for, for the last probably three to four years, I haven't been doing much of uh, that kind of work of, Finding directors because I've got I had been receiving calls and I had some constant workflow already. Fantastic. Um, yeah, but all of that is in the past, I guess. Now, <laughs> um, I'll probably use something like emails or try to find someone that knows somebody. And you know, it's very difficult for. Uh, I think it's very difficult to get heard because there are so many great. And so talented, so so many talented composers right now, and everybody needs uh, to have their voice heard, and that's totally fine. But um, maybe I don't know. Maybe the 
the internet, the social networks can get some chances. Maybe for us, this will help. Otherwise, and, I think uh, it's maybe people. Yeah, maybe this people will help. Will see this, or a director will see this and call me to say, "How do I find that guy?" Um, so <laughs> that's one of the exciting things that I'm hoping will happen. Can you tell us in a uh, in one of Dimitri's typical days or weeks? What percentage of work right now are you doing on your own compositions? I know that you've released an incredible record, which I listened to. Uh, Deep White was an unbelievable piece of music and dance. I mean, whoever the mm. director was of that and the dancers, that nice. is first class um, and available to everyone from your record. Uh, I also saw Moonlight with the dancers in shadow mm. on the walls. I mean, this is really extraordinary work, but I'm wondering how much of your work is that kind of original music and how much now is film music? And is it the same in a day where you divide your day up into both? Or if you're on a film, is that all you're doing and the other is pushed to the side? Yeah. Um, typically, it's very hard for me to focus on several big things mm. at once. I tend to really dive into one thing and spend a lot of time in that in that project. Um, it's just the way I am. It's easier for me to kind of focus my attention on one thing. I mean, I can take on like, different jobs, smaller jobs like orchestrating and or working with a band and, on their arrangement or something. But typically, if I'm doing a film. It's the main thing I'm doing and I'm trying really hard not to take on any other jobs. And I think that's, I know that is bad, I mean, bad for, um, for your business model and you can earn more if you take on more jobs. But, um, one thing that I've learned from my teachers during the school years and, um, and conservatory, uh, was that it's not always about, you know, getting, all the money you can earn and all the jobs you can get. Um, we are really dedicated. We should be really dedicated to making the most out of, of the music itself and making the best music that we can. And for me, that leads to actually focusing on what am I doing right now? Um, and not spilling my attention all over. So, um, when I work on film, I usually don't do anything else. Well, except maybe, as I said, some arrangements, here and there also. Um, I've spent close to two years doing this album that you mentioned. <laughs> um, and uh, that is, of course, because I had to spend a segment of time doing this and then spend, I don't know, three months working on a film and then come back to working on the album. Um, but uh, the last maybe four months, I've actually had to... Um, turned down a few offers on doing film music in order to finish the record because I understood that, you know, you either do it or, or you don't. Uh, so my workday typically is getting up, getting to the desk, starting writing music, and then, uh, and then finishing in the evening and going back to my kids and spending some time with them. <laughs> it's a standard thing. <laughs> First of all, I'd like... To say there's not a film director listening to this that won't say that's the guy I want, somebody who focuses a hundred percent on the film. Um, so the business model that you described that you think may not be uh, as attractive, it's completely wonderful for anybody that's looking for a composer to know they're totally focused. And in addition, I don't know how you could write a film score without being obsessed with getting it done and falling asleep with a melody in your head thinking is this the best song or tune or arrangement for that cue and waking up in the middle of the night and thinking ah i wonder if that should be a b flat right there i, I don't I, I and then how do you stay in bed and not get up and tinker i mean any of us that have sure, sure. worked on anything that's what makes people who are creative creative it's not like you have an option so i think what you've described is the perfect business model and um 
I just wonder also when you're doing a film in Russia, again, forgive me for how silly these questions must be, but this is a first for me as well. Do you do a traditional uh, process? Of course, here the director and the composer meet and they do a little dance around each other. Do we like each other? What do you hear in my script? You know, are you sent scripts by directors? What do you think? Do you want to send me some themes? Uh, or is there any music that you think would be great? And do you sit and spot a film with a director or do it, you know, over zoom or something? Is it still the traditional process or do they send you a movie and say, call us when you're done or somewhere in between all that. Cause there's so many ways that a composer can work with a director. Sure. Um, I mean, it varies. Um, it depends on the direct director. Um, some people like to meet and discuss the film. I mean, I love to meet mm -hmm. people, uh, at least once before starting a project sure. of that size, you know, it's nice to have a chat and sort of just understand what, this director likes uh, what's his taste like uh, what are his tastes like uh, what is the music that he listens to what is he looking uh, for in a music score what examples of examples of film scores does he like does he think that work well so all those things um, because you know we've never met each other and of course we all come from so many different backgrounds so that's only natural that we have different tastes which is great and oftentimes leads to the best possible uh, collaborations uh, so yeah we meet we might have a discussion we might listen to some music we might watch some of the film and maybe discuss the scenes um, and then we we either do the spotting so we go through all of the film and write down everything there is to know about where the music starts and and that kind of stuff uh, or I get sent the um, the rough cut uh, where there is temp music and which is basically the same as doing the spotting session because it has the starts of the cues and um, you can make the whole uh, cue sheet from that and um, I usually do the uh, I read a demo I, usually I start by spending some time uh, just figuring out what 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 is it what is the main thing I'm going to do with music in this film what is the genre what kind of themes I'd like to have what what kind of messages do those things the themes have to bring and this is from just watching the film maybe once and then spending some time away some sometime away from the movie and uh, try to come up with a strong musical idea uh, that some somehow embodies the part of the film and uh, that is probably the hardest part because you have to you know yeah it's the hardest part for me <laughs> um, everything has uh, there's so much craft in this work but this has to be you know there has to be some kind of a creative spark for that to happen I appreciate you know, I appreciate uh, all that yeah so then I I can write a demo of a main theme if I decided that I'm going to have a main theme in this movie and send it over to the director and see how he reacts to that and if he's hopefully fine and he likes it and he really thinks that it works for, with the idea of the film, then I will try to arrange it for a few scenes and uh, we can see how it works in the context of these scenes and maybe try a you know, smaller arrangement, a, a a larger one, a more epic or whatever the film needs, and see how the how much of flexibility the music has. I mean, if it ha if it can be played both on a you know solo instrument and then played in the full tutti orchestral setting, and see if it's you know it's flexible enough. Because the in the end, you don't want to be stuck with a theme that only works in in one way. Because you're going to have to write a lot of music and. It has to work, you know, it has to be flexible enough. So, yeah, and we go from there and then if if we can, we see that this idea I had works in different scenarios, then I, I start writing music for each scene and sending it, it over for review and uh, receiving feedback, doing some uh, fixes and sending it back. That's, I think, the, the standard way of working. And then we, uh, after we're done with the demos, we go to recording, 
I try to record with orchestra as much as I can. Uh, I will mainly have some amazing orchestras in, in Moscow. Um, and uh, I absolutely love that. Of course, everybody loves recording with orchestras, but I've been fortunate enough to do that for many years now. Um, yeah. And that's first it. of all, you just offered a master class on how to score a film for every composer, and there's nothing that you said. I mean, I don't know why I would think it'd be different for you. There'd be some kind of other process in Russia other than in London or. Los Angeles, it's exactly the right way to do it, exactly the best way to do it. And, uh, you know, what you leave out is what happens. The most fascinating part of it is when you write an incredible piece of music, you send it to the director, and they say, ah, I don't think nah. so. And it's like, oh, man. <laughs> but you also remind me that when I've had the privilege of working with, you know, great composers, Hans Zimmer, John Powell, all of them, and they talk about the tune. Wow. You know, they say, I've got to find mm. the right tune. And I always thought, that sounds a tune. Is that, you mean the great melody at the center of the film, the great theme? They always would use the word tune. And I realized what they were saying is exactly what you said, which is, what is that tune that can be in 4 4 and 3 4 on a solo instrument? in a orchestral setting electronically mm. etc which reminds me are there composers and film composers i'm sure it's too many to list that have inspired you that currently inspire you that you love that you'd like to also meet or or get familiar with i mean there yeah. are so many of them <laughs> of course uh, the ones that you've mentioned have been a great influence on me uh, we grew up on music by you know, so many great yeah. film composers and um, there are living legends right now. I mean, <laughs> I, I can't even start naming the people because I'm ashamed. <laughs> I don't know why, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> but the, 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 the sheer uh, influence they had on me is uh, immense, absolutely immense. Um, uh, from the newer generation, uh, I I thought that, uh, that um, Johnny Greenwood was absolutely brilliant. I mean, the, the, the things that I've heard are so creative and so fresh and bold and uh, they, you know, they uh, sort of embody everything that I've been trying to raise in myself and that it has this, the, the, it has all the traditional background, this music, but it's, it's, it has this freshness and it's very much uh, just distinguishable from the rest and it has this um, uh, signature of an author you, know, you can you can listen to a Johnny Greenwood score and you can certainly say that it's music done by this artist because it has this imprint uh, I mean so much of today's film music is I mean absolutely expertly crafted but many times sounds very similar which is um, it's a pity to me as an artist I understand where this comes from and I wouldn't want to you know, in any way uh, say that some composers are bad or directors are bad, but for the craft itself, it's so so good to have people like Johnny, like Hildur, that actually bring something new. And that is, I think, something we all should strive for. I mean, why else would you do I it? I love that. And it's, you've just named two of my favorites. Um, Hildur isn't that far from where you are right now. And I hope that there's an opportunity for the two of you to meet, of course. Oh, I'd love to meet her. Of yeah. course, uh, her work has been stunning. Uh, same with Johnny, and I really appreciate what you're saying, and it also makes me think um, certain films are also just, you know, cookie-cutter films. They're just... And so the, the composer doesn't oh. get a whole lot of opportunity to be incredibly expressive, and yet you get somebody like Hilder or Johnny with a director and a film that's also deeply expressive. That's where the magic takes place, of course. And uh, sure. so I, oh. I wish for you that you get directors that appreciate your skill set um, because that's that's really the greatest. The greatest combination is a director and a composer who are both looking for something beyond just a Hollywood movie. Um, can you tell us what you're working on hmm. next? Is there uh, something on the horizon? Um, I'm doing a demo for a feature film that I 
I'm not allowed to make yes. just yet. Um, we'll see how that goes. I've been working for days now. I've been rewriting it for several times and <laughs> hopefully I'll finish it sometime and then I'll send it over. We'll see if it works out. Uh, I've just fil- finished the, um, the series I was um, talking yeah. about earlier, uh, which took a lot of time because I've started back in December, I think, or mm-hmm. November, was it? Probably December. And um, that was a lot of fun because I got to write something I wouldn't have imagined I would ever and write. Again, <laughs> so everyone... Can... Uh, the, name of, the name of the series is in Russian. Hold, hold on. Let me translate. Um, probably it's easiest to translate as hello okay. again. <laughs> Which is, uh, it's, it's a series about a, a, a guy, a, you know, a killer uh, who, who gets into trouble and he, who's constantly getting killed and then he wakes up again with a knife in his back or a uh, hole in his uh, head because of a gunshot and continues to search for people who killed him and then he gets killed again. And then he wakes up again, and the whole series is. Sounds lovely. <laughs> it's very funny. It's a comedy with, yeah, it's a comedy with uh, some. It's a killer yeah, comedy <laughs> with some violence in there. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, um, but I got to you, you write a lot of you know really funky eighties uh, you know kind of music which I love, but I've never actually worked in that genre, so that was a lot of fun. I worked with some great musicians, amazing musicians and uh, yeah we've done a lot of music I want for that. to uh, I mean we've taken up a lot of your time and I'm just absolutely fascinated and I am going to go on the record saying your career is about to explode because it is I'm convinced um, can you just share with us any and it might not be part of your thought process but do you have any predictions for what will happen this spring in your country and for you do you think you will stay do you think things will calm down or go more serious and do you think you can come visit us here in america how's that for a lot of questions big ones (laughs) yeah um i'd love to come um i need to do the legal stuff the paperwork necessary for that to happen hopefully i will i'm getting some help with that right now so hopefully that will be possible yeah um regarding um predictions i mean um i'm i'm really hoping that the war ends as soon as possible that is the main thing right now i think it needs to stop really like right now (laughs) i'm hoping that um our government understands that Continuing this insanity only brings grief and trouble to both of our countries. There is not a single way of having a win in this situation. I mean, we're facing severe economical crisis right now. We're facing, uh, most important, people are getting killed. So, uh, um, the most significant thing that needs to happen right now is the, that the war needs to stop. Um, I'm, unfortunately, I'm not very optimistic about um, things getting better in Russia. I'd love to be proven wrong, but as far as the political direction that, that has been taken, um, it's basically taking all the freedoms that were left away from people. Um, I don't see why this would be abandoned, this, this, this uh, direction. Mm, but I'm really hoping that it could be stopped. Um, I, I'm hoping that people with opposing political views can be left alone and will be safe. Um, which is very important because most of these people are artists, are middle-class people, and, you know, they are what, what Russia is to me. They represent Russia for me. I've been raised in 
I've been friends with so many amazing people, intellectuals, artists, um, whatever. Um, to me, Russia is represented by them, not by Putin. Um, and I would love the word world to see that there are people like that in my country. Um, so basically I would hope that they have a chance to survive in this awful mess and um, bring our message to the world. world. I think that is a beautiful and fitting note. I know that we all feel the same. Um, I think that you are doing a beautiful job of composing music that does share peace and beauty and art with the world. I had such great feeling listening to your work over the last several days. I've just really appreciated it and been moved by it. It's very emotional what you're writing and I feel it. And that, I mean, what more is music than expressing our emotional life without words? Uh, and it's, you've, you're doing that. It's not that you've done it, you are doing it. So Dimitri, many thanks for your time. I guarantee this isn't the last time we'll speak. My pleasure. Hopefully, I'll get a chance to see you uh, on one continent or another. But uh, once this podcast is posted, get ready. Get ready. And uh, <laughs> I, I want to share it also with many of my composer friends so they're aware of you. And, and uh, I'm sure a lot of them would be interested in speaking to you. So... Please keep in touch. Please be safe. Our best Thank you so much. You and your family and your children. Our best to the world for peace. And uh, I want to be there when you accept your first Academy Award. I just want to be somewhere nearby. <laughs> not, that, not that I think uh, on a grandiose level, but stranger things have happened. So I think... It's a beautiful future ahead of you. Please be safe. And uh, we will talk again very soon. Thank you. Thank you, Robert. Thanks so much for these kind words. Thank you.